Okay, good morning. Good morning once again. When I was in the sixth grade, my family and I decided to go to the local dog pound. And uh, looking back, honestly, I don't know what my mom was thinking, uh, but we adopted a dog, a puppy that was only a couple months old. This dog was officially a mutt, right? A mixture of at least two or three different breeds. We, we brought the dog home and I was tasked with coming up with a name for the dog. And the name I settled on was Tanya. <laughs> and I'm sorry if your name is Tanya. <laughs> I really am. But uh, that seemed like a good name. Uh, and again, I was just in sixth grade and I, I literally just went, I cataloged through the, the girl names of the girls in my class. <laughs> and I thought, Tanya sounds like a good name. And I know I've told you other tales of, uh, of Tanya the dog. Uh, and uh, it's, I feel like Tanya was a central part of my, my upbringing. I can tell you some, some stories. And those of you that have been with me for a while have heard some of those stories. So, so when we brought Tanya home, uh, we had a few things going for us. We had a fenced in backyard. What else? Uh, we had a doggy door, you know, the kind that you can uh, let the dog in and out as they, as they please, right? She could let herself out. We had a pet bag, a bed, along with all the other accoutrements for, for owning a dog. Now, the, the surprising thing about all of this uh, was the fact that my mom was allowing this. My mom was allowing this to happen. The idea of a pet inside was not, and, and still to a degree, still not compatible with my mom's thinking, okay? So the fact that this dog was coming inside the house was a miracle in and of itself. So day one, dog was inside, we're taking pictures, the puppy's cute, everything's all good, okay? By day two, the wheels are starting to fall off, okay? Not only was my mom seeing the dog bring her paw prints into and onto her pristine kitchen floor, but uh, hold on to your hats, dogs aren't house trained when you bring them home from the pound okay they go to the bathroom anywhere they want uh and uh and, and worse if you got mad at the dog if you got mad at the dog for for misbehaving we'll say right uh or even if you got the dog excited this particular dog would then just go to the bathroom even more so if you were if you were yelling at the dog don't do that then what would the dog do the dog would do it more you know so uh these are things that all started to occur by day two after adoption all right. Now, with each passing day, my mom's patience was wearing ever thinner and uh, and the dog was finally allowed um, uh, in the kitchen, was only allowed in initially only allowed in the kitchen. But by day three, mom decided to limit the access, the dog's access to just the laundry room, only the laundry room. OK, which you have to understand also my mom's mentality on the laundry room, the laundry room. And that's a sacred place. That's where things are made clean. OK. And so to have a dog, an animal. In the, uh, in, the, in the laundry room, this idea was destined to be a short-lived one from the get-go. But my dad, he built a barrier. You know, he built a barrier that uh, he affixed to the door of the laundry room. And so the dog could, could jump up on, on that barrier and look and see what was going on in the kitchen and see what was, what was happening in there, okay? Now, I don't remember what the fatal act was that Tanya committed, but the dog did something bad, something really, really bad uh, in the laundry room, okay? Maybe it tore up something, I don't know. You know how puppies are. But whatever the event was, it was the event that sent my mom over the top. This was it, this was it. She had it. She reached her limit and full, in full frustration, she came to the part of the house where the rest of us were. And she said, and she announced, I can't take it anymore. We're taking the dog back to the pound, okay? This um, announcement, of course, was met with tears, my own tears, right? I was devastated. I'd already bonded with Tanya. <laughs> Tanya was my dog, right? But uh, I certainly couldn't manage the dog's behavior on my own. If I didn't have the support of my parents, I had no hope 
of keeping the dog. And I said, please, please don't take Tanya away from me. Please don't do it. But my parents, their mind was made up at this point. It was it. That was it. Tanya was going back to the pound. And so my dad went to pick her up, went into the kitchen, greeted her at the laundry room entrance. She jumped up on the barrier that said, hey, guys, is it time to play? You know, all cheery and everything. She had no idea what faced her, right? It was so sad because the dog had no idea that she was about to go back to dog jail, okay? And then, believe it or not, when my mom saw the dog's face, she said, can't we just give it one more try? <laughs> Can we just give it one more try? You know, and then that was it. And just like that, Tanya was back. Tanya was back. And would you believe we kept her for the rest of her natural life, you know, for 13, 14 years, something like that. You see, I don't think any of us realized at the time when we were getting Tanya that when we adopted her, she would have no other home. She would have no other home than with the Fesco family. At no time, especially in the first several days after we adopted her, did any of us feel secure about her status with us? It was very much a, this isn't going well. <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of how we were feeling all along. This, that sentence, poor Tanya was barely hanging on, you know, and, and, you know, she had no idea. She had no idea. To, to, to her, this was Club Med, right? Uh, she had no idea that she was on thin ice. She, she thought, this is great. I've arrived, right? To her, she was just happy to be where she was, completely ob oblivious to all stress that she was causing. Now, today's uh, one thing. Oh, I got someone in the waiting room here. Hang on. There we go. Today's one thing uh, topic is on the subject of adoption. And the irony of the story that I told you is that insofar as our, our yours and mine, our adoption is concerned, uh, is that it works almost the exact opposite of how our adoption with, with Tanya worked out. You see, Tanya, the adopted dog, had no concerns about her security. She really didn't. She had no concerns about it. She was happy from day one. She was just happy to be there. And the, the Fescos, well, we were teetering from the get-go. Me especially, I felt like we could, I could lose her at any moment, okay? And uh, in that relationship, it was the adopter that had no security, that felt no security. But the adoptee absolutely had no concerns about security. She found her home. This was it, okay? When you and I, when you and I are adopted by God the Father, it, it's you and I that seem to have issues of security, us, the adoptee, right? But as for the father, the father, the adopter, it's done. It's an irreversible deal, okay? So, so here's our question. As always, let, let's, let's take a look at how the Westminster Shorter Catechism answers the question. Uh, the question is, what is adoption? What is adoption? Yeah, come on in. You can come on in. She's looking for, for chairs. You... <laughs> All right, what is adoption? Adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of sons of God. This one isn't so intimidating this week, this, uh, this definition. This, this won't be terribly difficult, I don't think. Now, for those of you who were with me last week, we, we covered justification. We made a big deal about the, the first four words of the answer, okay? The first four, what is justification? The answer begins with justification is an act, Okay, it's an act. The same thing with adoption. Adoption is an act. Okay, adoption is an act. And then next week, we're going to talk about sanctification. So this is a three-part series. This is the second. Sanctification is a, what did we say? Sanctification is a work, is a work of God's free grace. So we make, we make a bit of a distinction between justification and adoption and, and sanctification. And that distinction comes down to it being an act 
versus being a work. Okay, do you remember when we were defining uh, or, or, or the, uh, the, we were the quality of an act? Okay, insofar as this definition is concerned, what did we say an act was? Do you remember this? It was a declaration. I was trying to, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm not a very good mime. I don't know how to mime declaration. That was me trying to say it could be either dec, dec, you know, declaration or throwing up, one of the two. So I don't know. I don't know which it is. An act is a declaration. An act is a declaration, a declaration by God. And what we said last week when we spoke about justification is that when you come to a place in your life, when you come to a place in your life where you believe in the saving power of Jesus Christ, a declaration is made, a declaration by God, okay? Uh, this declaration occurs the moment you believe in it. It's an instant, it's irreversible. It's a not guilty verdict passed down to you because of the fact that Jesus paid for your sins and robed you in righteousness. And that, that status is done. It's, uh, it's, it's sealed, okay? And based on that, you are declared not only, not only not guilty. Remember, you're not only declared not guilty, but you are declared righteous, Righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, okay? It's a declaration. It's a done deal, okay? And, and, and we had some conversation last week about that, and I, and I think I started to think about it more and more because you're having this, this question about if we are declared righteous, if we are really righteous in the sight, then why do we continue to be uh, disciplined or punished or however we wanted to classify it? And I think I understand what you're saying now, because if we truly are viewed as righteous, what, what, what's left to be done? You know, what else is there to be done? But see, our, our salvation, that's why we wanted to do this in three parts. It is a process, okay? It is an already not yet tension. And my, my brother was here last week and he was the one who classified it as, it's when I discipline my own son. When I discipline my own son, he is never not my son. You know, even if I, even if I give him some sort of uh, uh, discipline, I, I, I think of him as, as, and that status is never going to change. It's never going to change with me. He, I always look at him as my son, even if I am putting him through some disciplinary measures, okay? He is still my son. And so in, insofar as the status is concerned, your status before God Almighty, sealed. It's done. It's done. You have that status, okay? You're a child of God. In an adoption, it works similar, sim, similar uh, idea because when we speak about adoption, we also say that it is an act, okay? It's an act. What are we saying? The very same thing. Adoption is an act, meaning it's a declaration. So the distinction we're making here is that this act occurs all at once, okay? Whereas a work, okay, a work, as we speak about sanctification next week, is something that occurs over time. It takes time to do that, okay? That's the preliminary distinction that we want to make, okay? Adoption, your adoption into the family of God happens simultaneously with justification. You, you know, you can't have one without the other. You can't be justified without being adopted and you can't be adopted without being justified. You might say that, you might say that adoption, follows, uh, adoption follows justification in a, in a logical order, uh, but we wouldn't say that adoption follows justification from a, a, a time linear standpoint, okay? Does that make sense? In other words, once you're justified, once that declaration is made over you, uh, that is, your sins are forgiven and you're declared righteous. In the same breath that God declares you justified, he makes a declaration that you were adopted as a son of God. Now, for those of you saying, son, I'm a daughter, hang on to that thought, okay? Hang on to that thought. Uh, let's look, look at the scripture that affirms this idea. This is uh, 1 John, first, first part of 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, that we should be called children of God. And also from the pen of John the Apostle, 
uh, from uh, John 1, 12 to 13, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, okay, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, not because of anything I'm doing, right, nor of the will of man, but of God, okay, out of belief in Jesus Christ. And, and when it says, you know, who did receive him, that, that would tell us as a result of that belief, out of that change that occurred as a result of that belief, he gave us the right, the right to be children of God. You see how strong that language is? Okay. This from the, the pen of the apostle is telling us that once the status of forgiven and declared righteous is placed upon you, it doesn't then give us the option to become a child of God. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't give us the, the, the possibility to become a child of God. It says this status gives us the right to be a child of God. Now, now how can we say that? How can we have rights before God? Okay. Lyric, a few weeks ago, you said that we didn't deserve anything. Remember, I had that little graphic created. You don't deserve anything. That's what I tell my kids all the time. You know, you don't deserve anything. So how can we then say that we have a right to be a child of God? That's a really good question. Okay. It's very funny too. Okay. <laughs> Let's. It doesn't say irrevocable. Okay. Okay. Let's, we're going to get into that. Is it, is it really irrevocable? Yes or no? And how can we know if it is or isn't? I'm going to get to that, okay? But thank you. I appreciate the lawyer hat. Do we, have, we have other lawyers in here too, I think, don't we? Let's do it. Uh, you play one on TV. <laughs> the question from the floor was, but it doesn't say irre irrevocable up here on, on the screen. I promise you we're going to get into that. Okay, listen to this. First, let me ask you a question, true or false, okay? About what it means to be adopted. All, true or false, true or false, all human beings are children of God, true or false? All human beings are children of God. True or false? Oh, I've got you stunned, don't I? <laughs> don't want to answer. Someone just say either true or false. <laughs> false, false, false. You say true, okay? Both? Did someone say both? Yes and no? You know I love to answer or ask the yes and no questions, right? You know, that's a safe answer. This, this is, okay, I'm going to say initially, Say so initially that this is false, okay? And listen up. When I was younger, there was a, a popular song that was written and performed by a collection of the biggest and best musicians of the day. The song was written uh, and performed to benefit hunger relief uh, in Africa. The song was called We Are the World. Do you remember this song, those of you? Yeah, good song. Uh, the chorus of the song goes like this. I'm gonna sing for you. <laughs> uh, we are the world, remember that? We are the children, God's children. We are the ones that make a brighter day. So let's start giving. I think it was. Yeah. Okay. So where, where did the idea, we are the children, God's children, it says. And I, you should know that the next line of that song, it goes, uh, as God has shown us by turning stone to bread. Wait a minute. <laughs> That's not true. The devil tempted Jesus to turn the stones to bread. So, so be careful where you get your information from, okay? <laughs> this is trusted up here. Uh, where did the idea come from that all that we're all God's children? Okay, the problem is, yes, there is an element of truth to the statement, okay? In Acts 17, Paul is speaking in front of the Areopagus, which is, a, which is a, a forum of sorts for all the Stoics. And he quotes this poem from one of these Stoics and, and refers to us as God's offspring. 
Okay, God's offspring. And yes, it's true. It is accurate to say that every human being has been created by God. And even further, that we have been all, all of us are made in God's image. Okay, Genesis 1.26, it tells us that. So in that regard, we are all connected. But, you know, we have an account for the creation of man in Genesis 1 and 2. And then what happens in Genesis 3? The fall. And that has everything to do with everything. Okay, you see, when Adam and Eve sinned, when they fell, this put separation, put separation between God and man. When we fell, when we sinned in Adam, we, we discussed this in the last couple of weeks, we fell with Adam. Okay, he perfectly represented us. When, when, when we sinned in Adam, we were alienated from God. We were alienated from God. When we expressed our disbelief in God, we, we placed our allegiance elsewhere. It's as if we renounced our membership in God's family. We, we walked away. We walked away. We didn't believe. In fact, when Jesus was speaking to unbelievers in John 8, 44, look how he addresses them. This is chilling. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Again, this classification comes as a result of the fall. Unbelievers can fall into this, this classification here. We're at odds with God when we're unbelievers. Having rejected and upon belief, everything changes. Upon belief, everything changes. Forgiveness is granted and righteousness is declared on your behalf. That's justification. And then you might say your, your status has been restored as an adopted child of God. Okay. Or as we say, we have been, this is where this word comes from. We have been redeemed. How many times have you heard that in context of, of church speak? We've been redeemed. Okay. When you look up the definition of redemption or to be redeemed, there's an implicit meaning that something is being purchased back, okay? Something's being restored, something, and uh, uh, it's our status here. When a person is adopted, they become a member of the redeemed family of God, and they will never, I'm going to get to it, they will never be forsaken again. Look what it says in Gen uh, Galatians 4, 4 to 6. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem there's that word, those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. You know the meaning of that, right? Abba, Father. So it's, a, it's an expression like saying, Daddy. It's, a very, it's like an, a, an affectionate term, okay? When I was doing some reading for the preparation of, of this lesson, I was trying to do a little uh, research on adoption and specifically adoption laws in, in this country. And sure enough, sure enough, what I discovered was that as an adopted child in the eyes of the law, there's no distinction between biological and, adop and adoption once that declaration is made. But even more than that, even more than that, I asked one of our pastors, uh, Pastor Russ Ramsey, as I know it wasn't so long ago where he adopted a son from, from China. And so I asked him a few questions and I, and I learned something very interesting about his adoption process. At one point, he, he, uh, he actually, um, he traveled to China with his wife to pick up his son and, and he stood before a judge in that country, okay? And, and it was that judge in that country that made he and his wife take a solemn oath a solemn oath, you know, I swear by my life, okay, that they would never disown the child, that they would never, ever disown the child. He now, for all intents and purposes, according to the oath that he was taking, was taking responsibility for this human being, okay? He was responsible for his life. In other words, the judge was telling Russ and his wife, there's no one doing this. 
There's no undoing this. Once you do it, it's done. Once you take responsibility for him, you do so for life, for life, okay? And when they were, they were asking uh, them to take this oath, they were being asked, do you promise to do this? Will you do this? And it was at this point, Russ tells me, where he became the most emotional, where he became the most emotional about it because in, in that moment, he was being asked, do you promise to do this? In his mind, he's thinking, of course, <laughs> of course. Do you have any idea what I had to give up just to be able to stand in front of you, judge, and take this oath? Do you have any idea what I've sacrificed to be able to be here? How many thousands of dollars I've had to spend, the arrangements I've had to make, the distance I've had to travel, I've sacrificed so much to be able to stand here and answer this question. Of course, I promise to do this. It's almost like I don't understand the question. <laughs> you know, of course I do. Let, let my actions give testimony to how serious that I am about this. And of course, for him, and perhaps for you too, it, it's hard to miss the parallels here, okay? You see, at the point of adoption, it's hard to understate what it cost the father, okay? What it cost the father to put you in a position to look at him and to be able to say, Abba, Father, Daddy, okay? This is why we say that adoption logically follows justification, because of course you're adopted into the family of God if you consider the cost that was paid, all right? You see, for Tanya the dog, it cost us about 35 bucks. <laughs> 35 bucks and a few pet accoutrements, right? So to give, uh, those are excess. That's a fancy way of saying accessories, okay? I should have just said accessories. That's a $5 word. So 40 bucks all in, here we go. So uh, to give the, the dog back, it wouldn't have been terribly costly, right? Less than a hundred bucks and we're, we're out of it. We're out of it. We're back, to, we're back to where we were. But what was the cost paid for your adoption? What was the cost paid for your adoption? And if we just say the cost was Jesus giving his life on the cross, if that's all we're saying, we're, we're even underselling it. We're even underselling it from that standpoint. It wasn't, it wasn't just that he gave his life up. It was the very fact that there was a life to give up, okay? The incarnation itself, the incarnation itself was an unbelievably high cost, all right? That God himself, Jesus, who was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, right? But he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, okay? Just that much, <laughs> just that much alone in terms of cost, I, I don't think we're capable of wrapping our minds around the cost. It was an infinite cost, infinite. It was an infinite cost. And so, and so why, why do we mention this? Why do we talk about this? It has everything to do with security. You know, if you ever find yourself questioning your position before God, if you ever find yourself feeling like maybe you could fall out of God's favor, right? I want you to consider the cost paid so that you could be adopted. Okay, and after that cost was paid, let, let me, uh, which let me tell you, the cost was, again, of infinite value, infinite value, a, a perfect, a God himself, very God of very God, okay, sinless, spotless lamb, infinite, infinite value, okay, God the immortal, the infinite, sacrificed himself to redeem you, and after that price was paid, uh, what would it take for God to let you go? Now, it didn't say it in the other verse, right? but it does say it in this verse. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my, out of the father's hand. Okay. Your question specifically was, was, uh, is it irrevocable? Meaning can the father disown you? Okay. So a little bit different, still getting to that. This is, this is part one. Adoption again is something that takes place immediately. It's an act of God. All right. Act of God. And what this verse tells us is, is that adoption is also something that remains effect permanently. How do you know? Again, consider the cost paid to claim you. Considering the cost, it's unthinkable that the father would let you go. I remember, I remember as a child watching the show called Romper Room. Does anyone remember the show Romper Room? I always wondered if it was just a, a Bay Area thing, but I guess it was nationwide. Perhaps there were local versions of it. I don't know, but I do remember this one, one uh, specific episode of Romper Room, all right, uh, where uh, the, the Oakland Raiders had just won the Super Bowl, and, and they had one of the Oakland Raiders come visit the kids on the show, and there was, there was the player, uh, to tell you, I don't even remember who the player was, but I remember he was showing off his Super Bowl ring to the kids, okay, and if you've ever seen a Super Bowl ring, these are, these are gaudy rings, they're very gaudy, they're worth quite a bit of money, they're, they're made of gold and laced with diamonds, it's so funny to me that these big burly men that play football for winning football's ultimate prize receive jewelry, you know, you know, I've always found that funny, or getting a belt, you get, you get accoutrements for knocking someone out in a title fight, right, and then I remember that romper room teacher, uh, you know, after seeing the ring and showing it off to all the kids in the classroom, the romper room teacher saying, and I remember thinking, I just can't believe she asked that. She said, would you like to donate that ring to the romper room? <laughs> and the player, like you, just laughed. Like, and he basically said, no way, <laughs> no way. Do you, do you have any idea how, few, he didn't say this, but imagine this is what's going through his head. Do you have any idea how few people in the world are fortunate enough to play professional football? It's like a minuscule amount. From a percentage standpoint, it's almost, it's like impossible, right? It's remarkably low percentage. Do you know how then even fewer people have the opportunity to play on a team that competes in the greatest stage in professional football? There are players that go their entire career, sometimes 12, 15 years. Dan Marino is a great example. He played in one, but, but there's players that never make it to the Super Bowl in spite of their, their whole career. From a statistical standpoint, the percentages are zero. It's zero. Zero percent chance that you're going to get a Super Bowl ring. Zero percent chance that any of us in this room or online are ever going to get a Super Bowl, except for the kids. I believe in you. <laughs> I, think you can, I think you can do anything you set your mind to. <laughs> within reason. One day, it's possible. It's very possible. So keep, keep at it. Practice hard. <laughs> yeah. Or wrestling. Yes, you could be a professional wrestler too. So anyway, all this to say, the price you pay for something directly correlates your willingness to let it go. Your adoption is permanent because the cost that was paid for it was infinite. Infinite value. Infinite value. Never, ever forget that. That the cost of acquiring you, if I could say that, of adopting you was paid at an infinite cost. And that directly correlates to the father's willingness to let you go. He will not do it. He refuses. He will not let you go. And he will not let anyone snatch him away from you. Okay? The price you pay for something directly correlates your willingness to let it go. Okay, with that, with that, there's one more thing. Just one more thing I want to highlight here insofar as, as adoption is concerned. Once you're adopted into the family of God, once you've been grafted in, okay, here's what the Bible tells us our status is. How do I know I'm really adopted? This, is, this says uh, Romans 8, 16, and 17. The Spirit himself, the Spirit himself bears witness within you, okay? He bears witness within you 
uh, with our spirit that we are children of God. Okay, so there is some sort of internal sense that, you know, okay, God does love me. That does come with time, all right? And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also uh, be glorified with him. The Bible calls us heirs, heirs with Christ, okay? It's always, it's always great to have certain conversations with your kids, and one of them wasn't too long ago. So they were, they were probably 11 or 13, something in there. And it's the conversation, the one that goes, Dad, uh, when you die, who gets the house? <laughs> And, and it could be, it could, I, mean, I remember specifically in this conversation too, it wasn't that they were just asking about the house. They were saying, well, what about your phone? Who gets your, something mundane like the phone? Okay, yeah, dad, who gets that? I want to say, I'm still here. Hello, I'm still here. I don't have plans of leaving this earth anytime soon. Now, I know there, there weren't any rush to see me go, but I know the concept of, of inheritance is fascinating to them, right? It's fast back during the time of Jesus's ministry in the Hebrew culture and even the Roman culture, yes, the concept of inheritance and heirs was, was, was a well-understood topic too, all right? But they didn't quite, it didn't quite work the same way as we might think it should work. You see, with my kids, right, whenever it's time uh, for me to leave this world, there's this understanding that, that we divide everything equally amongst our children. You know, that's sort of this understanding. Everyone gets the same amount, right? That's generally accepted and understood practice. However, that wasn't necessarily the case back in Jesus's time. All right. The heir of the family estate or the family assets um, was, was generally understood to be the eldest son, period. The eldest son. And my son, oldest son is back there smiling like, amen. Right. The eldest son received most of the inheritance and sometimes all of it. And it was up to the eldest son to take it upon himself to distribute the wealth amongst the remaining uh, offspring. So you see, when the Bible, when the Bible refers to us as co-heirs, do you realize what a radical statement that is? Okay. Co-heirs with Christ. We partake in the inheritance along with Christ. And, and this applies to whether you are male or female. Okay. So again, think back in the day in terms of inheritance, when you were a son, that means you were entitled to something. If you were a daughter, you were entitled to nothing. Okay, just whatever the whatever you got, you know, you had to be. Well, someone's going to take for me. Someone's going to take care of me. The Bible is saying here, male or female, you're all sons. You're all co-heirs. You are all part of that inheritance now. Okay, that's what it refers to when it refers to us as co-heirs with Christ. Um, we're all sons insofar as inheritance is concerned. Now, having said that, in the eyes of God, here's another question: In the eyes of God, is there any difference between our sonship? And that of Jesus Christ. Is there any difference between us now, between us and Jesus Christ? What say you? Is there a difference? Bingo. Okay. That's the last remaining distinction that we have to highlight. Okay. Because uh, I, I didn't want to just bust you right away and say, well, Todd, right. But you're right. That's the only remaining distinction is that, is that uh, we have to remember that Jesus is the only begotten son of God. And one of the questions that they were asking me in my licensure was this idea of the eternal generation of the son. And what that means is that, yes, Jesus uh, or God begat Jesus, but did so from all eternity. So don't think of Jesus at some point in time being begat by the father. It's this eternal concept where he always, what he begat, he, who's begotten from the father, but it was eternally that way. Okay. I know that's a lot to wrap your head around, but, but that's how they have to distinguish it because we don't want to ever make it seem like, ah, Jesus had a beginning point in time where suddenly he started existing. No, 
just as God the Father, he eternally always was. Okay, so Jesus is the same substance with the Father. Just like we've been saying in the series, Jesus is fully God and fully man. When we say he's fully God, we're saying he is the same substance with the Father. And this means that he, Jesus, is God. So we've got to remember that when it, when it comes uh, to, to adoption, to become the sons of God by adoption, this in no way makes us divine. You know, sorry, <laughs> we're not divine in that respect. Um, so in that respect, we don't share Christ and his equality, uh, you know, with the Father. And, and we always, because we we're always going to be creatures. We're always going to be created beings. All, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's what we are. We had a start, a starting point, okay? Jesus is not a created being. He's in the same sense with the Father. Now, having said that, that should in no way decrease the wonder of adoption. In fact, it should increase your wonder uh, of adoption. Because when we're adopted, again, we're mere creatures. We're mere creatures. And we're brought in to share the things that belong by birthright to only Jesus. We as creatures get to share in that birthright. So think of it like this. We as children of God become heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. It's like he becomes our, our elder brother who shares, that elder brother, right, who shares um, and, and distributes the inheritance to us. So we receive all the benefits which God for his own glory grants to us. That's a miracle, folks. That is a miracle, okay? Now let me stop there and see what other questions you might have uh, about the concept of adoption. Uh, remember, last week was justification. This week, adoption, both are acts of God declared immediately. Next week is sanctification, which involves a work. It's a work of God, okay? So any questions on adoption uh, or, any, or anything somewhat related? Come on, this is the good room. We can speak up here. We can, we can talk. And same, same, same with you folks online. If you, uh, if you want to uh, submit a question, go ahead and do that through the chat, and I'll be glad to uh, read it aloud for, for the folks here. Yes, sir, Jean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's who, that's who created it. Yeah. Gene is marveling over the fact that there's in a world of created things uh, that we are amongst that part of that creation and who created it is, is, is a marvel in of itself. And, and that as created beings, I think this is what you're saying is that we get to have a relationship with the creator, you know, and not just a relationship, not just I know this guy, co-heirs, you know, we get to partake of the inheritance. That is, that's beyond unbelievable. Please let that sink in today. Let that sink in your position before God, the Father Almighty. Not just, you're not just associates, you're co-heirs, you're co-heirs with Christ. And that, that status is given to you immediately. That's not something that, again, that, that you have to earn over the course of your lifetime. That's not something that if I continue to be good, I'll get more. No. You got it. You got it. You got it. Someone else. Any other thoughts, comments, or questions? Yes, sir. What does it mean in that verse? Um, I'm sorry, I didn't know what verse it was. What's that we suffer? Ah, yeah, okay, because th- this is what we'll talk about a little bit with uh, next week. Provide this is from Romans 8:16. The question was asked: what does it mean if we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him? What does that mean? Anyone take a stab at it before I answer it? I have an answer for you. What does it mean to suffer with him? What are we going to talk about next week? Sanctification. Okay, that's part of the deal. 
that's part of the deal. We are not promised a cakewalk. We are being molded into the image of Christ. We're being made to be like Christ. And Christ, what did he do? He suffered. So if Christ suffered, you bet your bottom dollar that we're not going to be able to skate through this life. If we're going to be made like him in every respect, we're going to suffer with him. And so, and, and, and you have to understand, you know, going through this right now with, with, uh, with my dad, uh, I become more and more keenly aware of this because sometimes I think we as Christians get this, this idea that uh, God wants us to have a smooth sailing life and that if we pray hard enough, he will make it smooth sailing. No, Christ himself died and God was most glorified in the sufferings of Christ. Now, why did he set up that system like that? Don't know. <laughs> But you can better believe that it's ultimately somehow that he's glorified through it and that we understand and we have a concept, a better grasp of that glory because we suffered through something. We can identify with it just a little bit more than we would have had we not suffered through something. And that's something you can hang your hat on and think, okay, whatever I'm going through, whatever it is right now, it's not for nothing. It's for something. It's for something, not only for his glory, but for my sanctification for me being made to be like Christ. And that's, that's again, that's, oh, that's so reassuring. Yes. That next verse, verse 18. Yes, please, please read verse 18 for us. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's your answer right there. That's it. That's it. I should have read that with, a, with 18, but that's exactly, it's exactly what we're just saying. That's it. Beautiful. Someone else? Oh, yeah, Todd. I was Todd. thinking about the uh, discussion we had about uh, children of God and, mm -hmm. you know, having that conversation with an unbeliever. And quite frankly, some uh, who call themselves Christians, uh, that can get contentious. That, mm -hmm. You know, are we, are, you, are we all children of God? Are we all children of God? Yeah, because again, and, and I understand the argument, and this is where we, there, where, where we were going with this, is that, yes, that we are all made in the image of God. So in that respect, yes, we're all creation of God. So we're all offspring. And again, that's what Paul affirmed in, in, uh, in Acts 17. But again, the, the fall changes everything. The fall changes everything. And, and I was even talking with my brother about this uh, and, you know, just asking his opinion. Am I stating this right? Does that sound right? And he goes, in a, in that, in a respect, we're all kind of like prodigals, you know, in the sense we all ran away. But the one distinction I would make in the, in the story of the prodigal son was that there was an expectation by the father that that prodigal son was coming back. And so the same thing with us. We can say that about us in terms that we're all prodigals, that we did fall. Uh, and he is expecting us back because it's his work. It's his doing. Someone else? Uh, Winston. Mom only had a girl <laughs> and no, no boys. What oh, back in the, in the Bible times? We do. We have an example of that. We have an example of that in the Bible. Do you know where? It's in Genesis. Remember what happened? Abraham was promised an offspring. He was promised a male offspring of his own, but he didn't have one. So what did he do? He appointed someone. It's like he, he said, okay, even before he went to daughters or anything like that, he said, okay. Oh, he didn't have any children though, but he said, uh, you, he appointed uh, um, another person in his household to be an inheritance. And then he tried to even take further measures beyond that, which you and I aren't going to get into right here. <laughs> but but yeah, he appointed someone else. He just said, you, even though he wasn't part of his family, you're going to be my, my inheritance. Still get the inheritance. 
The girl will still be taken care of. Yes, she'll still be getting taken care of by whoever's in charge of. And that was Bible times. That was way back in Old Testament times. Things are a little different now. So don't you worry about your little sister. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Only if there's no brother, right? Yes, Ruth, save me. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. In the verse where it talks about no one can snatch uh -huh. from him, does that include the adopted person themselves? The adopted person themselves. Can they renounce their no. adoption? No. Mm because -mm. again, remember, consider the cost. Consider the cost. It's too high a price for the father just to let you go. Too high a price. And again, because of that price, he, there's infinite value on you. And so therefore, he won't let you go. And that's, that's, re, that's the reassuring words right there. You know, I'll never let them snatch him out of my hands. It's the same. It's the same thing. The reason he won't let anyone snatch him uh, out of his hands is because of the price that he paid, the price that he paid, the bride price. Someone else? Good questions. Love this room. It's a little warm, but I love it. It's fun. Yeah. Make sure there's no questions up here. All right. What time is it? All right. That's probably a good place to stop. 10 till. All right. If there are no other questions, and again, as always, like I say every week, if, uh, if you're struggling through any of this and have further questions, I'm more than happy uh, to talk through these things with you, whether it relates to this lesson or anything else. Next week, adoption. Uh, and then uh, I'm not sure what we're going to do on the 30th. We'll do something on the 30th. That's Memorial Day weekend. Then the week after that, if you haven't been to church yet, we're having a church-wide uh, hoopla outside for June 6th. One service and uh, on the lawn, party afterwards, okay? All right, let me close this in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, what a joy, what a privilege, what an honor uh, to be called a child of God, to be adopted into a family that I didn't deserve to be adopted into. And uh, you did it anyway. You, uh, you saved us anyway. What a joy, what a miracle that is. Father, help us, help us to be reassured by that this week as we go through whatever it is, whatever it is that we find that, uh, that causes us doubting this or struggling through this. Help us to remember now and always that you have adopted us and there's nothing because it's your act. It's your declarative act that made it so. So help us to be reassured by that. Um, and Father, help prepare us uh, for whatever we might face that, that causes us to, to doubt that. We thank you for your son. We thank you that he loved us so much that he gave himself for us, for the joy that was set before him. And we pray this in his name. Amen. All right. Thank you all. Have a great afternoon and week.